0: This morning our scripture is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. We'll be focusing specifically on Colossians three twelve, but we'll begin reading at verse 5 to set the context uh, for the message. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let's pray. Thank you, God, this morning for your word from... Genesis to Revelation, for the entirety of your sharing your story and your love with us, we thank you specifically this morning for this passage in Colossians. We pray that you would, um, by your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and lives, teach us your way, and may your word um, not return to you void, may it do that which you have intended it to accomplish in our lives, in our community. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> a few years ago, there was a complete set of William Barclay New Testament commentaries donated to the annual youth auction. I had had a few of them in my um, library. I didn't have the whole set so I was really excited and I was really hoping that nobody else was excited. Um, So I was very excited when I won the bid um, and got to take them home. And then I was even more excited when I realized that the volumes that were included in this set weren't just spanning from Matthew to Revelation, but there was an extra book called New Testament Words. I love words. I love learning what they mean and the ways that they're used So this was a great volume for me to have. In the preface to the book, Barclay says that words are always fascinating things. He goes on to say, translation from one language into another is in one sense impossible. He says it's always possible to translate words with accuracy when they refer to things. A chair is a chair in any language. But it's a different matter when it's a question of ideas. In that case, some words need not another to translate them, but a phrase or a sentence or even a paragraph. One of the words he then goes on to expound on is a Greek word that honestly has about 14 or 15 letters, and I'm gonna try to pronounce it, but I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly, but it's splanchnizathai. It means to be moved with compassion It's the verb that comes from the noun splankna, which refers to the viscera, the soft internal organs of the body, the heart, the lungs, the liver, and the intestines. The Greeks held these inner parts, often translated bowels, to be the seat of the deepest emotions. This word does not describe any ordinary pity or compassion but an an emotion which moves a man or a woman to the very depths of his or her being. It's the strongest word in Greek for the feeling of compassion. And with three exceptions in in the parables, in the New Testament, it is exclusively used of Jesus. The three uses in the parables are the master who had compassion on the servant who was unable to pay his debt, the compassion which made the father welcome home the prodigal son, and the compassion which made the Samaritan go help the wounded traveler on the Jericho Road. The gospel writers use the word to express the compassion that Jesus exhibited toward those in need. Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the crowd like a sheep without a shepherd in Matthew 9, 36. He was moved with compassion when he saw their hunger and their need when they had followed him out to the desert place in Mark 6 when he fed the 5,000 and in Mark 8 when he fed the 4,000. Jesus was moved by compassion by the leper in Mark 1.41 and by the two blind men in Matthew 20.34. Jesus was moved with compassion for the widow at Nain who was going to bury her only son. In Luke 7:13 and for the man with an epileptic son who appealed to Jesus to heal him in Mark 9:22. The use of this word in the gospel shows us the things in the human situation which moved the heart of Jesus. The spiritual lostness of the crowd, hunger, physical needs, pain, people's sorrow. Eusebius, an historian from the 3rd century, writes this about Jesus. He said he was like some excellent physician who, in order to cure the sick, examines what is repulsive, handles sores, and reaps pain himself from the sufferings of others. Jesus regarded the sufferer and the needy with a pity which issued in help. In the ancient world, to the Greeks, it would have been completely incredible to speak of God experiencing feelings. And by incredible, I don't mean wonderful, how we often use the word, but incredible, not believable. To them, God could have no feeling. Their thinking went something like this. If God could feel joy or sorrow about anything that happens to humans, it would mean that humans can affect God, that humans have power over God. Since no one can be greater than God, God can have no feeling. In contrast to this way of thinking, the scriptures stress the pity, the compassion of the Lord. The Christian idea of God was that God voluntarily chose to feel for and with humankind. The idea of a God who could be moved with compassion and of a life whose motivating force was pitying love must have come to the Greek world literally like a new revelation. We think it's commonplace that God is love, and that the Christian life is love. We would do well to remember that we would never have known that without the revelation of Jesus Christ, of whom it is so often and so amazingly said that he was moved with compassion. Jesus, who was moved with compassion over and over again during his earthly life among people, is our model, our guide for living. We are to strive to be like him, as Pastor Hank often says, to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus. And so we come back to our verse this morning, Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul instructs us, beginning in Colossians 3, verse 9, that when a person becomes a Christian, there ought to be a complete change in his or her person. There is a putting off of the old self and a putting on of a new self. Our life in Christ is to be a continual, a continual recreating. Paul shares some of the old self, then, that is to be put off, done away with. Putting off the old self includes ridding our lives of sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying, as well as the barriers that divide and the tendency to discount people different than you. Then he goes on to share that those in Christ are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. God's chosen people holy, and dearly loved. All three of these terms originally belonged to the Jews. They were the chosen people. They were the holy, dedicated nation. They were the beloved of God. Now all three were used for all believers, Jew and Gentile alike. The love and the grace of God have gone to the ends of the earth, not just to one favored nation. As God's loved people, we're not only to take off things that were part of our old self, but we're also to put on the virtues and graces of Christ himself. And the first one we're told to put on is compassion. William Barclay translates this as a heart of pity. Weymouth translates it as tender-heartedness. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it as heartfelt compassion. The King James translation says, bowels of mercy, mercies. And the New King James as tender mercies. The Bible in basic English says, let your behavior be marked by pity and mercy. And the New International Reader's Version says, so put on tender mercy and kindness as if they were your clothes. Clothe yourself with compassion. The Lord calls us to relate to others and their needs in the same way that Jesus did as he lived on the earth. Jesus was grieved by the pain and suffering of people and he reached out with compassionate love. He touched people no one else would touch. He wept over people's lostness. He healed people. He fed people. He felt their grief. John Ortberg wrote, in all the stories of Jesus' compassion, we're never told that he had compassion on someone because they deserved it. It was only because they were in need. Sociologist Rodney Stark has contended that one of the primary reasons for the spread of Jesus' movement was the way his followers responded to sick people. John Ortberg has this wonderful book called, Who Is This Man?, And in it, he talks about the early Christians um, and how they treated sick people. He says, during the reign of Marcus Aurelius, around AD 165, an epidemic of what may have been smallpox killed somewhere between a fourth and a third of the population. A little less than a century later came a second epidemic, in which at its height, 5,000 people were reported dying daily in the city of Rome alone. For the most part, people responded in panic, as we might imagine. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead, and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. But there was in that world a community that remembered they followed a man who would touch lepers while they were unclean, who told his disciples to go heal the sick. Dionysius, a third century bishop of Alexandria, wrote about their actions during the plagues. He wrote, heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with this disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. These early believers lived out the words of Jesus in Matthew 25. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In the fourth century, one of the most famous sermons was by Gregory of Nyssa, and it was to raise money to build a place to love and care for lepers who faced isolation, uncleanness, and death. Gregory said, lepers have been made in the image of God in the same way you and I have, and perhaps preserve that image better than we. Let us take care of Christ while there is still time. Let us minister to Christ's needs. Let us give Christ nourishment let us clothe Christ, let us gather Christ in, let us show Christ honor. And that was the beginning of what would come to be known as hospitals. The Council of Nyssa, the same council that affirmed the Nicene Creed, decreed that wherever a cathedral existed, there must be a hospice, a place of caring for the sick and poor. One philosopher put it this way, if you ask what is Jesus' influence on medicine and compassion, I would suggest that wherever you have an institution of self-giving for the lonely and for practical welfare of the lonely, schools, hospitals, hospices, orphanages, for those who will never be able to repay, this probably has its roots in the movement of Jesus. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion. The vision of our church is to be a thriving, diverse, urban church, sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. It's printed on the bottom of our bulletin every week. To do this, to live this out, We need to clothe ourselves with compassion. Compassion that causes us to share the good news of Jesus and his love. Compassion that causes us to care for the children among us, loving them, teaching them, befriending them. Compassion that causes us to open wide the doors of the church and our hearts to teenagers from our community who may not yet follow Jesus or value the church the way we do. Compassion that causes us to help feed people whose food resources aren't sufficient to get them through a month. Compassion that causes us to provide tangible help for families as their children go back to school and as they celebrate holidays which drain even more of their limited resources. Compassion that causes us to help people in our church who may be struggling providing help with meals, with deacon fund assistance, with prayer. Compassion that causes us to to help to ensure that people have medical care. Compassion that causes us to listen and to counsel with brothers and sisters who are hurting. Compassion that causes us to journey with those who struggle with addictions. Compassion that causes us to pray. Compassion that causes us to support those whom God has sent to the ends of the earth, and compassion that causes us to live more simply, both as individuals and families and as a church family, so that we have more resources available to use for ministry to people. A heart of compassion may come more naturally to some, but the scripture is clear. It is something that is to be put on by all believers. Perhaps the greatest impediment for those of us living in the U.S. to fulfilling God's call for us to care for the needs of others is our consumerism. Currently in the U.S. people spend an average of three to four percent of their income each year, just as a for instance on clothing and shoes. The clothing industry in our country costs consumers billions of dollars each year. What if we clothed ourselves with compassion and instead bought even half as much and gave the difference to help others in need? Consumerism in our country seems out of control. There's a website called retail, R-E-T-A-L-E, retail.com, that has a real-time graphic for how much money is spent in the U.S. per second on various items and at various vendors, from Starbucks coffee to Dunkin' Donuts to Walmart. Here's a screenshot of their graphic after only two minutes. If you look up in the top, you can't read it from where you are, I'm sure, but it says in 118 seconds, 1,079,000 and some odd dollars has been spent on retail online and 10,914 and some odd dollars has been spent offline in the US in two minutes. If you hover, if you go on that website and you hover over any of the boxes, um, you'll see the daily stats for the combined spending of all of us for that particular thing. You can take that down. It's sobering, isn't it? To see such a thing. I've been reading parts of a book that I bought several months ago. The book is entitled, Enough. Why the world's poorest starve in an age of plenty. At the time of its writing in 2009, the Gates Foundation estimated that it would take an additional $9 to $12 billion of annual spending added to the $9 billion spent on agricultural development by African governments, foreign government aid, private sector investment, and charitable donations, so add 9 to 12 12 billion to that to eliminate hunger in 60 million households in sub-Saharan Africa. And While that sounds like a daunting amount of money, 9 to 12 billion dollars, this estimate is just over half of what Americans spend to counter their overeating. The market for weight loss treatments in the U.S., including diet programs and herbal products, has been estimated to be worth some $33 billion a year. The convicting words from Ezekiel 16.49 seem hauntingly relevant to us. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. I recently read an article from Forbes magazine about the real cost of shopping habits. In 1930, the average American woman owned nine outfits. Today, that figure is 30 outfits, one for every day of the month. The article said that to warehouse these growing collections, we need more space, so we build and buy bigger homes. The median size for newly constructed houses today stands at 2,478 square feet, up from 983 square feet in 1950, even as family size has grown smaller during those years. Of course, clothes only fill a tiny portion of these mini mansions, the article says. The rest of these ballooning abodes require lots of shopping for furniture, decor, kitchen equipment, toys and electronics. More shopping and shopping ensues. So much so that all this stuff overflows into basements and attics. One fascinating UCLA study of middle class American families found that three and four garages are so packed with stuff that there's no room for a vehicle. When these auxiliary spaces in our homes are loaded, the overflow heads to self-storage units. The Self Storage Association reports that Americans spend $24 billion each year to store their stuff in 2.3 billion square feet of these units. The article continues, all the acquiring and storing has its limits and it must go away. And when you don't know what to do with all your stuff or you die and your descendants have to contend with it, Someone calls 1 800 Junk or one of its competitors and pays them to haul it away, most of it to a landfill that you and I pay for through our growing tax bills. Then the article concludes by talking about the time cost and the mental and emotional costs of all this shopping. Can you think of better ways to use resources like money and time? I can. And this morning I'd like to give you some possibilities. At the end of my time in Zimbabwe in April, I had dinner at the home of the Ngalubes, Bishop Cinda and his wife Susan. At the end of the evening, after the other guests had left, we had a discussion about the BIC Church in Zimbabwe and some of the challenges it faces. With 85 to 95% unemployment in this country, which was once considered a breadbasket of Southern Africa, it's hard not to imagine that the challenges, the economic challenges for the church are profound. At the end of our discussion, I asked the bishop to share some prayer requests and he gave many for economic growth, for their vision to plant 70 churches in five years, for their goal to reach 15,000 people with the gospel in the next five years, for leadership development and training for pastors. After he finished, I started to put my phone away. I was typing the prayer requests and the notes on my phone. I started to put my phone away and he said, ah, there's one more request and it's an urgent need. And then he shared about the no-no district of the Brethren in Christ Church in northwestern Zimbabwe. We have a slide of that's the church in the no-no district. Just as an aside, Eldon Beyer from our church helped to build the overseer's home, which was built after the church building. First the church building, then they built an overseer's home. And Eldon helped with that construction. He's been to the no-no district in Zimbabwe. But the the Nono District began building a medical clinic to serve the needs of the people in their region. But they had to stop construction when the Zim economy fell apart in 2008 and 2009. There's a picture of their partially built clinic. The need that the bishop shared touched my heart. Touched my heart deeply. And as I came home and walked and prayed and prayed for the request that he shared, God kept touching my heart even more. And I think the reason that it touched me so deeply was because of my own need for medical care last year with my breast cancer diagnosis. I well realized that I not only have excellent medical care, and I do, but I also have easy access to it, and so do you. The Brethren in Christ Church in Africa has certainly lived out what the Council of Nyssa decreed centuries earlier, that where there's a worshiping community, there should also be compassionate ministries. So in Zimbabwe and Zambia, there are medical facilities. Lois showed us pictures of some of them and schools in the various regions of the church the no no district's clinic has stood partially done and they'd like to complete it as soon as they can because the nearest medical clinic for the people living in this region is 80 kilometers away brothers and sisters that's 50 miles a huge different distance considering that the main mode of transportation would be walking The No-No Clinic is now a project that people can give donations to through Brethren in Christ World Missions, and the goal is to raise $37,000 for them to complete the construction and to equip the clinic. That's a lot of money for me, but that's not a lot of money for us, plural. As of last week, a total of just over $12,500, a third of the need, had been received or pledged for this project thus far. Perhaps you'd consider helping to provide medical care for our Zimbabwean brothers and sisters and their community. There's a small table in the lobby this morning that has all sorts of things on it. And one of the things is a half sheet flyer that tells about this need and how you can give toward this project. If you go to the Brethren in Christ World Missions Partnership Handbook, and you read the detail about the No No Clinic project, you'll see that the motive for the church building this facility, for the church to build this clinic, is both compassion and a burden to share the gospel with that community. Richard Stern has a great book, a hard book to read, but a great book called The Hole in the Gospel. And in it, he says it well. He says Christianity is a faith that was meant to spread, but not through coercion. God's love was intended to be demonstrated, not dictated. Our job is not to manipulate or induce others to agree with us or to leave their religion and embrace Christianity. Our charge is both to proclaim and embody the gospel so that others can see, hear, and feel God's love in tangible ways. When we are living out our faith with integrity and compassion in the world, God can use us to give others a glimpse of his love and character. That's what the church at No-No is striving to do with our help. But maybe providing medical care doesn't fit the burden that you have for showing compassion. That's okay. Brethren in Christ World Missions has a whole partnership handbook available online. With compassion ministry projects in many places throughout the world, there's a sheet on the table that looks like this, that shows what the online page looks like and has the web address you need in order to access it. There's projects in so many places covering a whole gamut of things that are needed. Perhaps you'd like to help provide education for children. Maybe that's your burden. I remember being in Nicaragua in 2003 for a missions trip, and some of our group got sick during that trip. And as I went to the various homes one day to check on our sick teenagers, I found that there were school aged children also in those homes during the day when they, in my mind, should have been in school. When I asked the missionaries why the children weren't in school, I learned that many cannot attend because they do not have the needed school fees. And others cannot attend because they cannot afford the required uniform or the needed school supplies. Though such things like school supplies and uniforms may be a challenge for families even in our own community, children in the U.S. have access to education that is free to the public funded of course by residents through property taxes, nothing's free. It was sobering and painful to me to realize that children were missing out on education and that the same scenario is repeated in more places in the world than I could imagine. So if educating children excites you as you consider compassion ministry possibilities, the Brethren in Christ in India and Nepal offer a very significant ministry to children through the SPICE program. SPICE stands for Sponsorship Program for International Children's Education. Brochures for SPICE are also on the table. For 50-something cents per day, you can help support the 800 children who live in SPICE hostels, where they receive education, clean water, food, nurturing care, and spiritual instruction. The Brethren in Christ Church also receives donations to their Global Compassion Fund, monies which are used to provide emergency food to hungry people in countries where the Brethren in Christ has a presence, as well as to provide other emergency relief assistance such as flood recovery, school supplies, and housing. There's a sheet on the table as well that highlights the places around the world that have received monies from the Global Compassion Fund in recent years, as well as information on how to make donations. This morning we heard about some of the ministries of Mennonite Central Committee, MCC. It's not just the ministry of Mennonite churches, it's also a part of the ministry of the Brethren in Christ Church. So providing disaster relief, food, work, health, education, and promoting peace in many countries throughout the world can all happen through our donating to and volunteering with MCC. So brochures at the table, are available that highlight the five emphasis of MCC's ministry. The Brethren in Christ are also part of Mennonite World Conference, MWC. MWC has a global church sharing fund, which helps to alleviate the disparity between the global north and the global south. Maybe you didn't realize, but 95% of the wealth of the Anabaptist church belongs to North America and Europe while most of the growth of the church is taking place in Latin America, Africa, and Asia among people who are financially poor. So there's also a sheet that outlines the purpose of the Global Sharing Fund of MWC. This morning I've mentioned various ways that the Brethren in Christ are involved in compassion ministries throughout the world. In addition, there are certainly all sorts of local ministries that have connections to our church doing compassionate work in the name of Christ throughout our region. Paxton Ministries, Christian Churches United, Help Ministries, Morningstar, Capital Area Pregnancy Center, Brethren Community Ministries, Brethren Housing Association, CURE International, Messiah Lifeways, and the list goes on. Brothers and sisters, You are dearly loved. You are dearly loved by God today. Clothe yourself with compassion so that others might experience that same love of God through your life, through your service, through your giving. I'd like to close with a brief video this morning. I need to give you a little bit of background to it. Lewis and Gladys Sider were missionaries in Zimbabwe many years ago. In 1954, Lewis met a young girl in his visit to some of the village schools. In his missionary memoirs, he describes noticing a girl sitting in the front row who had difficulty seeing the blackboard. He says, somehow I developed a feeling that she needed special help and also I had the conviction that she had real ability. He wrote, I don't remember just how I was prompted to take her to the mission or just what circumstances there were that caused her parents to give permission, but permission was given and she agreed that she would go with me. The woman's name was Macanalia. I always want to say it with a Spanish accent, but it's Macanalia. Leah was eventually able to get glasses for her poor eyesight, earn enough money from working to pay her school fees, attend school, and herself receive a teaching certificate. In his book, Lewis describes her accomplishment. She has been a teacher for many years, a teacher of special education for the handicapped in Bulawayo. She has helped to start both the Lobengula and the Bulawayo Central Churches in Bulawayo. She has been a wonderful wife, mother of four children, teacher, and example of Christian character and leadership. All these accomplishments would not have been possible had Louis Sider not been moved by her plight all those years ago and fetched from her village, to use her word to describe it. Makana was part of the contingent of brothers and sisters who came from Zimbabwe to attend Mennonite World Conference last summer. And while she was here, she spent time with Harriet Bixler of the Grantham Church, who is Lewis and Gladys Sider's daughter. McConnelia asked Harriet to take her to the grave site of her parents, as it had been her prayer to see both where they lived and where they are now buried. Once at the grave, McConnelia knelt and prayed. And moments into her prayer, Hallie, Harriet realized it was a holy moment, a precious moment that she wanted to capture. She pulled out her phone and videotaped McConnelia's prayer. We're gonna um, watch it. Just, I'll just tell you she has a, a bit of a thick Zimbabwean accent. So listen closely.
1: Let me pass the word to all I come across. Help me, Lord, to love those who are straying. Let me love the poor. Let me love the fatherless, the orphans, those who have nothing. I didn't have anything. When Louisaida picked me up, i have nothing there are men in africa with nothing who have no school fees i have a chance give me chance to help them like you There, some of them will be great men will do what those who have been saved by the missionary work that was done, by the volunteers who came into the dark Africa. Those who sailed in the ocean's dangerous ships to help us hear the way. I thank you, Lord. I prayed for this chance that I would come and thank you for their lives I know they are waiting somewhere where we shall meet and sing together I look forward to that day when I will sing for this and tell him I am home to
0: Her words say, let me pass the word to all I come across. Help me, Lord, to love those who are, in str- uh, who are estranged. Help me love the poor. Let me love the fatherless, the orphans, those who have nothing. I didn't have anything when Lewis Sider picked me up. I had nothing. There are many in Africa with nothing who have no school fees. I've had a chance. Give me chance to help them, like Lewis. And then she goes on to talk about how some of them will be great. She says, "I thank you, Lord. I prayed for this chance that I would come and thank you for their the missionaries' lives. I know they are waiting somewhere where we, where we shall meet and sing together." I look forward to that day when I will see umfundisi. Umfundisi is the word for pastor and she means it in a very affectionate way. It's what she called Louis Sider, umfundisi. And tell him, I am home too. Let's pray together. God, may our prayer be the same. God, please help us to pass the word to anyone and everyone we come across. Help us to love the poor. Help us to love the fatherless, to love the orphans, to love those who have nothing. Help us, God, to have your heart of compassion, to be Jesus to others, to make a difference in one person's life, to make a difference in our world. We pray in Jesus' name, the compassionate one. Amen. As we prepare for our closing song, uh, the intercessors will come to the front if there are things that you um, want to pray for. They'll be happy to pray with you. I'm not sure who's leading our closing song. Does anybody know? Nobody's moving. Somebody want to lead a song? You don't want me to lead a song. <laughs> That's a scary thought. Thank you, Shana. Thank you. Let's stand together. Let's sing and bless the Lord.